0: Our first Bible reading tonight will be from Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 37. Luke chapter 11, from verse 37, 894 of your beautiful black pew Bibles. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Do not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and all other kinds of garden herbs but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say.
1: Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good evening, church. Nice to see you this evening. Uh, We're going to focus on uh, Luke chapter 11 tonight, so why don't you take a moment uh, by yourself, to prepare your own hearts and minds to hear God speak to you. And then I'll pray. Father, we come to you now eager to learn, eager to be fed and nourished, eager to be transformed by your word and through your spirit. So we beg of you, Lord, that you might speak to us because we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. There are some things about life and about church that really breaks my heart. There are some things that really breaks my heart, I find really tragic. It, It breaks my heart when I hear of people who have sat in some church week in, week out, year in, year out, and they have this longing in their hearts to know God. But at the church they go to, the, the Bible is never taught. And Jesus is never mentioned. And they never hear about grace, and that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I hear of people in what I call legalistic churches. And they go week after week, and month after month, and year after year. And all they ever hear is rules and rituals, and do this, and don't do this, and you can do this, and you can't do this. And they leave every week, and they are weighed down, and they are burdened, and they are crushed. It is joyless, lifeless, graceless Christianity that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I hear preachers who crush people from the pulpit, who tear people to shreds, and everything from the pulpit is negative and reactionary, repent, 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 and there's no grace, and there's no compassion, and there's no mercy, and there's no love. That breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart when there's so much hypocrisy in the church. So much hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in the pulpit where the pastor, the, he preaches a message. But in their hearts, they have no intention of actually putting it to practice. Or, or in the pews, in the seats, there are, are people who, they write copious sermon notes, and, and they love playing the expository police in every single sermon. But they have zero intention of actually applying that word to their life. And that's Hypocrisy. You know, the most common word to describe Christians by the world is the word hypocrites. And the word hypocrite, it means somebody who pretends, somebody who acts. That's where you get the word actor from. It's the word hypocrisy. So we get into character, we play the part. It's easy to do that, isn't it? We're good at doing that. You know, it's easy to pretend to look good, we We sing all the songs with gusto and we pray all the prayers and we open our Bibles and we read our notes and we join connect groups, we do our quiet time, but it's all pretense. Because in here, in our hearts, we have no desire to live in a way that honors Jesus or live in a way that brings him the glory. It's all about looking good. And it breaks my heart because Jesus' name is not honoured and Jesus' fame is not being recognised and the gospel of grace is not being preached and not being lived and not being modelled and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to think on the last day there could be men and women who stand before their maker and they say, but Lord, we went to this church year in, year out and we did this thing and we served in this way. And Jesus says, but I never knew you you had no relationship with me, it was all religion, it was all rules, it was all rituals. And I know that some people like religion, they don't want a relationship, but there are many other people who long for that relationship with God, but all they ever hear is rules and rituals. And I know that because my family in the UK right now probably sat in the church, and in their church there's no Bible, there's no Jesus, no grace. And it breaks my heart. And it broke Jesus' heart as well. Because in our passage tonight, there's a, a repeated word that comes six times. Verse 42, woe to you Pharisees. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees. Verse 44, woe to you. Verse 46, woe to you experts in the law. Verse 47, woe to you. Verse 52, woe. That's the repeated word, woe, woe, woe. And when you hear that word, woe, do you want to keep going right back to the beginning? Kim, we're on the first, very first slide still. When you hear that word, woe, please don't think that, that Jesus is pronouncing judgment. It's not Jesus condemning them. The word, woe, is actually a word of lament, a word of grief, a word of pain. His heart is breaking. His heart is breaking when he sees the the spiritual blindness of all these religious people because these people think that they are good and think they're religious and think they're right with God, but they're not. They're so far from God and that breaks his heart. In his commentary on Luke, Philip Rykin writes this. What is the greatest threat to Christianity in the 21st century? Is it widespread secular hostility to biblical truth? Is it the spread of radical Islam through terrorist groups? Is it the pervasive immorality in modern American culture? Is it the rapid erosion of religious freedom? These are all serious dangers, but none of them quite fit the bill. So what is the greatest threat to Christianity today? It's the dirty dishes and unmarked graves, which are code words for hypocrisy. Nothing is deadlier to the life of godliness than spiritual hypocrisy. Ouch. But he's right. Christians wanting to look good but in the inner heart there's no real love for God. In the Bible Jesus meets a group of people he calls Pharisees and he calls them hypocrites. And the word Pharisee, it comes from a word that means to be separate or to be distinctive. And these people long to be distinctive. They long to look different. They long to be different from the world. They long to be these great law keepers. You ever met those people where you know when you walk into the house and they're, they're so meticulous and they're so neat and you, you open their wardrobe and everything is perfectly color-coordinated and you're thinking, whoa, what is this kind of people? That's like the Pharisees. They're so neat and they are so disciplined and so exact and they love keeping rules. And just so you know, the law is a good thing, isn't it? God's law is a good thing after God had rescued his people from Israel, from Egypt rather, he gave them the law, not to earn their relationship with God, but to enjoy their relationship with God. God never meant his law to be a way that you could keep it to earn your relationship with him. He gave you his rules, his laws, to help you enjoy life well lived under God's rule. But but these Pharisees, they just loved keeping the law. They did everything by the book. In fact, they were so desperate to keep the rules, they created new rules and new traditions to make sure they didn't come anywhere near breaking any law. And they loved it. And here in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees. And as I read this this passage on Tuesday to prepare this sermon, I I sat in a cafe in Kiribili and my heart was going, You go get him, Jesus. (laughs) Let him have it, Jesus. You know, you hair-splitting hypocrites, you religious, self-righteous Pharisees. And then the Spirit of God said to me, but Paul, there's a bit of Pharisee in you. And I'm sure there's a bit of Pharisee in you as well. Because deep down, we all love rules and we all love to look good. And sometimes just doing stuff for God is easier than really working on your relationship with God. And do you know the group of Christians today that are most like the Pharisees? It's us. Conservative evangelical Christians. And you might be sitting there saying, How dare you, how dare you call me that? But it's true. We can have all the right Bible knowledge and all our right doctrine and all our right theology and all our right evangelical systems, but our hearts can be still far from God, can't they? And that's why Jesus warns them in chapter 12, verse 1. Be on your guard. Be aware against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It is yeast because it spreads rapidly. It's yeast because it is hard to spot, but it is hypocrisy and it leads people away from God. So please let the Word of God do some soul surgery for you tonight and rid you of any trace of Phariseeism. So what is the heart of hypocrisy? What is the heart of hypocrisy? Here it is. It's when you are more concerned about your outward appearance than your inner heart. You're more concerned about what looks good than whether you're living a life of godliness. Godliness. Let's get into our text, verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, so he's been speaking about judgment and the sign of Jonah. He's been speaking about a shining light into dark places. And when he finished speaking, this religious, rule-keeping Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner. And what I love about Jesus is that he takes every opportunity to go to a dinner party. He doesn't care who invites him, Pharisee, tax collector, he just goes. And verse 37, he's reclining at the table. That is a posture where Jesus is communicating, I'm ready for my food, I'm ready for my meal. But, verse 38, here's the problem. The Pharisee was very surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So Jesus hasn't washed his hands. Now, I think Jesus is being deliberately provocative He's not against hand washing, he's all for hygiene. Uh, This is not your mum saying before dinner, come on, your hands are grubby, your hands are filthy, go and wash your hands before dinner. What he's trying to do here is expose the rituals that these Pharisees are falling into to think that they are righteous with God. And one of those rituals was called hand washing, and they were very diligent. You know, between every meal, between every course, they did their hand washing. And so they washed their hands, not with any old water, but with special water in large stone jars. And they had this special ritual where they'd start with their their five fingers pointing upwards and they'd get a a, a cup full or about an eggshell full of water and they'd wash their hands down to their wrists. And then they would dry their hands with their fists and they would turn their hands upside down and they'd repeat it. And so they'd wash their hands and, hey, we have washed our hands. And so now we're clean, aren't we? Now we're acceptable to God. And it's pathetic. As if washing your hands can deal with your heart problem. And Jesus is so provocative. He's saying things may look clean on the outside, but you're still dirty on the inside. It's like if I invited you to dinner at my house tonight and I presented you with this sparkling bowl. It is so sparkling and beautifully clean on the outside. And then you look on the inside of the bowl where I'm about to place your meal and it's full of mold and dirty food. You're saying, can you just clean the inside? I actually don't care how dirty it is on the outside. It's the inside that matters. That's what Jesus is saying. That's his point in verses 39 to 41. He says, now then, you Pharisees, you religious people, you you clean the outside of the cup. You like to look important. You like your rules. You like to be noticed. But inside, in your heart, you are full of greed and full of wickedness. You're more concerned about looking good than you are about being good. You're more concerned about looking holy than being holy. He says, you foolish people, you're being stupid. Didn't the one, that is God himself, who made your bodies, the outside, also make the inside? He made your hearts, and the heart's what matters. That's the heart of the issue. And in your heart... which which reflects your love for God, it is full of greed and full of evil and full of wickedness. It is not clean. So deal with your heart problem. And the way you deal with greed, verse 41, is to be generous to the poor. Get rid of your greed by giving away your money. See, outwardly, I'm sure these Pharisees looked religious and looked wonderful, but their heart is far from God. And maybe that's you tonight. You know the posture to pray. You know the songs to sing. You know the evangelical jargon. You can spot a good sermon. But your heart is filthy and dirty. And you have no love for God. So Jesus gives them six woes, six marks of hypocrisy. And I have to warn you, There'll be a few ouch moments. The first one is legalism. So in verse 42, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth, you tithe your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. You, You tithe well, but you neglect, you ignore justice, and you neglect your love for God. Now, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone, He's saying, tithing is good. Please don't think I'm against tithing. The Mosaic Law said that it was a good thing to give a tenth of everything back to God. But to do that and lack love for God and lack justice, that's hypocrisy. Oh, and these Pharisees were meticulous. They'd even created these rules, these laws, where they gave a tenth of everything, even their garden herbs, even their mint, even their rue. And to go he looked pathetic. Imagine sitting down with a meal with a Pharisee and you give him a a spinach leaf and he says, oh, before I eat that, oh, I'll just pull off. There you go, that's God's bit. Hmm. And it's pathetic, isn't it? As if that's going to please God that you're getting a bit of a garden herb. But it just feels good, doesn't it? It feels like you're ticking a box. It feels like you're, you're doing the right thing and obeying the law. You're keeping the rules. And I think we're good at that. Keeping rules, but neglecting the main game of love for God and justice for others. And what does God want from you tonight? As you know, we've got four boys. We named our fourth boy Micah. After one verse in the Bible, Micah 6 verse 8, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you, God. That's it. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you God. Now, of course, it's a good thing to obey the law, but not if there's no justice and no love for God. I often say God doesn't want your money if He hasn't got your heart, and God doesn't want your rituals if He hasn't got your heart, and God doesn't want you to love matter of duty but out of delight. So, church people, beware of legalism. We can slip into it so quickly. Good things like having a quiet time or going to connect groups, they are good things, they're beautiful things. But if you think by ticking that box that somehow you're closer to God, you're deluded. And if you sit in sermons and and do a good thing like have your Bibles open and writing your notes, but then you you leave this church tonight and you, you walk past a person in need and there's no justice, there's no compassion, there's no mercy, what was the point? We can be very legalistic, you know. There's a brilliant organisation called the International Justice Mission, IJM, who do fantastic work. Great works of justice, liberating women from the sex trade industry, liberating kids from slave labour. And I don't agree with all their minute details of doctrine. But that's okay, isn't it? They're doing great works of justice. There's someone in this church who became a Christian, a brand new Christian. And they came to me and said, oh, it seems that people in this church are more concerned that I smoke than they are about my gossip or my godliness. I think we're very good at laying down man-made rules. Beware pride, number two. Look at verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. You love to be seen. You love to look important. You love to get the approval of others. You like to be part of the in crowd. Just so you understand this verse, in, in the synagogues, in the meeting places, there'd be these special seats up on the stage. They'd be ornate, they'd be wooden, and all the important people stood up on stage. And you might have been to churches like that, where there's two wooden seats up on stage, one for the bishop and one for the rector. These would be two seats here, actually. They're now over there in the hall. Or you might have been to conferences where the platform speaker is given the, the pride of place at centre stage. And the Pharisees would have loved that because they loved to sit in the special seats and wear special robes, and it made them feel good. It made them feel important. You ever been to a, a, a wedding reception? You know, when you walk into the door of a wedding reception and you get the, the the seating plan list. That moment where you're looking for your name on the seating plan list. How do you feel when you find out you're at table number 20 right at the back by the toilets? And then how do you feel when you find out you're at table number two, which is right by the bridal party, and, and something inside you goes, oh, wow, I feel good, I feel important. I feel valued. Because deep down inside of us, there's this longing to be noticed, to look good, and that is pride. Pride is when we prefer to be noticed in a seat of importance in church. That's more important than our secret prayer life. Pride is when you want people to notice you rather than your saviour. And God hates pride. James 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And please, church, take notice of this. We can be very arrogant and very proud. I love this quote. Tragically, contemporary evangelicals are often affected with arrogance and pride. After all, we have all the answers, don't we? No, you just be faithful and let Jesus be famous. I love that line. You just be faithful and let Jesus be famous. Because the praise of people can be so seductive. And the antidote to pride is what? It's humility, isn't it? The antidote to pride is actually the person of Jesus Christ. Because when you have grasped that you have done nothing to earn your salvation, when you grasp that you've done nothing to deserve his love, when you grasp that he went to Calvary for you, not because you're a good person, but because you're a wretched sinner, when you look at the cross of Christ... You are a sinner and so am I, and we're all loved by an amazing Saviour. No matter who you are, rich or poor, young or old, male or female, we're all one in Christ. It's a great leveler, isn't it, Grace? And it keeps you humble. There's no one who is more important in this church, and no one who's less important. It's all about Jesus. So get rid of your legalism, get rid of your pride. I struggle with the heading for the third point, get rid of your toxicity. I couldn't think of any other word. Beware of leading other people away. Uh, be, Be aware of this toxic culture that damages people. Be aware of leading people away from God, sometimes without even knowing it. Verse 44, woe to you, he says, because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. And so the Pharisees had taken a bit of scripture in Numbers 19 that talked about if you come into contact with a dead person, you are unclean for seven days. And so they made sure that all their graves and all their tombs were clearly marked with a headstone and it was whitewashed so you, you couldn't, couldn't neglect the fact there's a dead person under there. See, an unmarked grave and you might accidentally walk over it and become unclean. And they were so desperate to be acceptable to God and so desperate to be clean. And Jesus turns to them and says these words, you Pharisees, you're like unmarked graves. What he's saying there is outwardly, you've got all the signs of spirituality, but when people come into contact with you, you don't lead them close to God, you lead them closer to hell. When people meet you and listen to you and listen to your words, You lead them away from God. When people walk over your graves without knowing it, you'll lead them down a blind alley because you're not teaching grace. And again, I think this is all over our city. And it's so easy at this point to point our finger at other churches, isn't it? I could talk about the Roman Catholic Church. In some Roman Catholic churches, they still teach that you have to go and see the priest to receive forgiveness of sins. And that is wrong. You go to Jesus to receive forgiveness of sins. And I could go off about that. Or I could talk about liberal churches where they don't even open the Bibles and how they're leading people to struggle. I could go on about that. Or I could go on about Pentecostal churches where it's all about your experiences and they don't actually lead people to Jesus. I could go on about all that stuff. And we're good at that, aren't we? Pointing the finger at other churches. But what about us? We can be unmarked graves, you know. Because sadly, some people walk through our doors and they are longing to know God and they're longing for help. And sadly, what they hear through our gatherings and through our teaching is clean up your act, become a better person, deal with your sin in your life, and then you can come and join us. Or get a degree so you can read your Bible and so you can have this great tertiary education and then you can come and join us. And we put these, these barriers or these hoops that people have to j- jump through before they can meet Jesus. And that is tragic. And in verse 45, we meet an expert in the law. Just so you know, the Pharisees are like the laymen, lay people, and, and the experts in the law are like the clergy or like the theologians or like the seminary lecturers. And I, I actually bet this man wished he'd kept his mouth shut. Verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus says, you experts in the law, woe to you. My heart breaks for you, he says, because, here's number four, they burden the people of God. They make Christianity impossibly difficult. You load people, verse 46, you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And we can do that. We can place impossible burdens on people. We can crush people with these uh, impossible expectations of what they have to do or laws to keep or rules to obey. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is is Matthew 11, verse 28, where, where Jesus says these amazing words. He says, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus and let him carry your burdens. Let him deal with your pain. That's what the Bible says. Come to Jesus, let him love you. And once you've understood how much he's loved you, then start to think about the change that's required to live the Christian life. But we get it so wrong so often, don't we? Now, yes, God is holy and he, his demands are be holy as I am holy and his standards are very high. And if you know your Bibles, Jesus says, you know what the Old Testament says, but I say to you, he seems to raise the bar. But here's the thing, if you haven't got Jesus, if there's no Jesus, if it's just rules and you're crushing people, it's impossible. But when you have Jesus, when you've met Jesus, when you come to Jesus, He gives you a new heart and a new mind and he gives you his Holy Spirit, doesn't he? Without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to even begin to keep God's holy standards. Now, of course, you need to obey God's word. Of course, you need to live in a way that honors God. But friends, it is so easy to burden people and crush people and weigh them down because they're not good enough or not godly enough. The Bible does not say change your behavior so you can believe. The Bible says believe and let God change your behavior. And I think our world and our church needs to hear that. I've just had the joy of two weeks of synod. And we had lots of discussions about the LGBTQI issues. We had lots of discussions on human sexuality and gender identity, and they're good discussions and important discussions. And we've got to make sure that we are handling the word of God well on these issues. But here's my fear, that many people sitting inside of church, and most people outside of church, all they ever hear from us is, Change your behaviour, change your lifestyle, become straight or become celibate and then God will love you and God can accept you. And that's not what the Bible says, is it? The Bible says this, come to me, says Jesus, as you are, because we're all broken, come to Jesus, receive his forgiveness, receive his love. Now, if you, if you come to Jesus, then yes, he wants you to live a godly life, but let him change you. Let him change your behaviour. Again, don't mishear me. I'm all for godly living, all for living holy lives. I do not want to compromise biblical teaching. But the reality is that all of us here have got struggles and temptations and battles and sins. And without the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we cannot be transformed. So it breaks my heart when impossible burdens are placed on people and they think they have to clean up their act before they can even be loved by God. It's not about you working harder. It's about the Spirit of God working in you and equipping you and enabling you. I love this quote by Max Liccardo. Our Savior kneels down and gazes upon the darkest acts of our lives. But rather than recall in horror, he reaches out in kindness and he says, I can clean that if you want. And from the basin of his grace, he scoops a palmful of mercy and he washes our sin. That's what people need to hear. Come to Jesus. Let him clean you. Let, you wa- let him wash you. And let his all powerful spirit who lives in you begin to prod you and equip you and encourage you and enable you to live a godly life. And you can spot a church full of burden people. It's joyless, it's lifeless, it's graceless. We need to speed up because we're running out of time. Number five, we despise the word of God. Verse 47, woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, for God's messengers. And it was your ancestors who didn't like what they said, who didn't like what the word of God said, so they killed God's messengers. So you testify that you approve of killing of these messengers because you build their tombs. It's a strange section. What he's saying here is that God longs to teach his people. God longs to equip his people. But when God sends his messenger, sends his word, we don't like it. And so we close our ears to it. Or we rip it out of our Bibles. Or we just totally ignore it. But we'd never do that, would we? Because we're good evangelical Christians. We love the word of God. You might be doing it right now, you know. You might be listening to this word, this sermon, this word now, thinking, I didn't come to church to hear this. I don't like this. I'm going to ignore this. I think I do it every day as I read the scriptures, and I just, I just pick and choose which particular verse I'm going to apply to my life that day, and I often avoid the hardest bits. Number six, we obscure the way to God. Verse 52, woe to you, experts in the law, because you have removed, you've taken away the key that unlocks knowledge of God. You yourselves have not entered. It's all pretend, it's all hypocrisy. Worse than that, you have hindered, you've stopped those who were entering. So, what is the, the key to knowing God? How do we know God? Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the, the fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of knowledge. Having that right reverence for God, that right respect for God, that right awe for God. But how do you really know God? Well, God has made himself known, hasn't he? The Word became flesh, yes? God stepped into our world in the person of Jesus. And when Jesus stepped into the world, he said this, that the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. I love that about Jesus. He brings grace. He brings undeserved kindness. He brings undeserved love. He brings undeserved forgiveness. He brings truth. You know what God is like. You can know God because he speaks the truth. He lives the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So if there's no Jesus, there's no life. If there's no Jesus, you don't know God. And so you can search the scriptures and seek eternal life, but if you missed the main message about Jesus, you've missed the point. And that was the Pharisees. All this head knowledge, all this religion, but no Jesus. My friends, if you leave church every week, and we've done all these amazing things, like sing some amazing songs, and have some amazing prayers, and had an amazing supper, and amazing community, and amazing connectives, and amazing care programs, but if your eyes are not fixed on Jesus, we've missed the point. And again, that breaks my heart in some churches, Jesus is never mentioned. I, I love hearing stories from Christianity Explored or Alpha of people who have met Jesus. They're the best stories, aren't they? Uh, sometimes you get someone who's completely unchurched, never been in church in their life before, and they walk into church, they do Alpha, they do Christianity Explored, and they meet Jesus and it's this big smile comes over their face because their life has been transformed. They are loved by God. They're cherished by God. They've met Jesus Christ. I love those stories. But I also love the stories of, of people who have sat in church week after week, years upon years, and they come and do Christianity, explore and for the first time in their life, they, their eyes are open to Jesus like the penny drops. Wow, it's not about the rules. It's not about the riches. It's about Jesus. That's a glorious moment. Because, friends, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. And sadly, these Pharisees don't get it. In fact, verse 53 tells us they were angry and they looked for a way to kill him and they sent him to the cross. And my guess is there could be some Pharisees here tonight. And the Spirit of God is wanting to do a work in you to expose your hypocrisy and shows you the danger of, of graceless Christianity and just show you how wonderful Jesus is and how liberating and freeing Jesus is. But just perhaps you're sitting here saying, I don't like this. I don't want this. I'm okay. I'm a Sydney Anglican. I'm an expert on the Bible. I know the best way to do church and the best way to preach and I write copious notes. And sadly, in my experience, the most religious can be the hardest to hear. Please don't be blind. It's a really simple message, actually. All you need is Jesus. Because the heart of the problem is your human heart. What you need is a, a new heart, a heart transplant. A heart that is marked by grace, a heart that is marked by generosity and justice and kindness And that's a heart that you can't earn, you can't get. It needs to be given to you by Jesus Christ. And he gives you a new heart. And it's just beautiful. So friends, just turn your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. And look full in his wonderful face. And all the things of this world and all this religious nonsense, it just grows strangely dim, doesn't it? In light of Jesus' glory and his grace, let me pray. Our Lord Jesus, we are so thankful and so in awe of you that you would love us, that you cherish us, that you wash us, that you cleanse us, that you forgive us, that you. Equip us with the gift of your Holy Spirit to to live the life that you call us, to live the good life. And Father, we are sorry for the ways that we have focused on the wrong things. We're sorry for the way that we've slipped into legalism or we've become proud or we have led people astray. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we love the rituals, but our hearts are far from you. Help us, Lord, please, just to love Jesus and to stick with Jesus and to fix our eyes on him. And we ask that for his sake and for his glory. Amen.